This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, SiriusXM, Channel 132. Business Radio that's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Kent Smethers, professor at the Wharton campus here in Philadelphia. And remember, new episodes of the show air every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern. We're still not taking live calls, but if you're looking for an advisor that I like, you can always go to my website, kentonmoney.com. So for many of us, 2020 was a year like no other with unprecedented interruptions in how we work and how we get paid. And partly for that reason, the IRS extended the deadline to file your 2020 return to May 17th, really almost uh, just a week away uh, from today. So today's guest will help you uh, get some answers to some of the last minute questions that you've been maybe having. He's been having some of these same questions for from his own clients. So happy to welcome back to the show, uh, Patrick Cote, who is the founding partner of Asset Grade. Uh, the only advisory firm. Um, and Patrick, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Kent. Happy to be back. Thank you. And so for the average listener out there, again, I mean, uh, it's been, you know, a, a, a crazy last, you know, year or two. And uh, again, the deadlines for at least the individual file filers are coming up this week. Um, so what does do they need to know if, you know, if they receive a stimulus check last uh, year, you know, they very common question is this taxable income or is it non-taxable? Uh, what's the facts there? Uh, so the good news is if uh, people did receive the stimulus check, it's actually not taxable. So it's it's relatively easy from an administrative perspective. They don't have to do anything. Uh, it's, it's, it's all taken care of and there's no information needed uh, for it. Um, the, only, the only thing would be if they, um, if they didn't get what they thought they should get, then they would actually have to file a 2020 tax return. Yeah, so explain that one. Like if you don't think you got what you got, so this may be an opportunity to try to get what you think is OT since it's being sent out also by the US Treasury. Explain what do they need to do there. Yeah, so they have to file the return, and then, and by the way, so the calculations, just to make sure folks are doing it the right way, it was based on 2018 and 2019 income data, yeah. and then uh, if you if your 2020 tax, uh, your 2020 income actually dropped, then the IRS is actually going to be sending out a plus up payment to see like to you automatically if your payment would have been higher if you used the 2020 income for yourself rather than the 2019 income. So they make it easy for folks. Um, and so you, if you don't receive those uh, and, and you and you think you should have, then you'll have to file a, tax, a 2020 tax return, even if you wouldn't normally file one. And then there are some uh, rows in there. It's line 30 on the, the form 1040. And then you have to show what you've actually received. And then you calculate what you believe you should have received and put it in that, in that part yeah. there. Yeah. And the reason why it was done on the 2018 originally is that it was just quick. I mean, it was able, the IRS already had that information, so they were able to do checks uh, quickly uh, that way. But like you said, some people had even lower income and in the phase outs, uh, they would have gotten more income um, relative to the phase out range. 
yeah, they, the IRS saw their most recent income. So do contrast this, though, with unemployment benefits. We Unemployment benefits in particular still remain taxable, including at the state level, except in uh, six states, PA, who uh, do not tax uh, unemployment. So that, that we've got to make sure that we distinguish certainly between those two things. Now, so let's talk about work at home. Most people did work at home. Uh, there's always this issue about, you know, the the tax deductions that you can get from working at home and obviously the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017 changed some of that. Explain the details there. Sure. So uh, if you're still an employee and your income is only coming through as an employee, it's relatively simple because you cannot deduct the home office then. Um, obviously, you get other benefits. So you, your commuting costs probably went way down. So at least you are getting that savings. Um, if, you, if you're self-employed or an independent contractor or you're an employee and you actually do get some money uh, from you know, being a, an independent contractor on the side, then you can actually deduct it there. So it gets a little bit more right. complicated. Uh, you'd have to file a Schedule C, and it's one of the forms along with it. And the calculations can get a little bit complicated. Uh, they do have a couple of ways you can do it. You can either do a percentage of square feet you know, for the home office relative to your whole home, or you can just use a rule of thumb of $5 a square foot. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk, I mentioned uh, quickly the unemployment benefits and it, it, there's been, it, that's, that's what gets complicated for a lot of people because they don't distinguish between that and the stimulus checks, which you, you pointed out were non-taxable. You know, certainly the American Rescue Plan uh, that got implemented on March 11th, just a little while ago, has changed some of the parameters now about unemployment benefits and whether they're taxable uh, or not. Uh, in general, they are, but there's new parameters. So explain that. That's right. So yeah, normally they would be taxable, but there, there's now an exemption that, that kicks in. So it's 10,200 if you're single, yeah. 20,400 if you're married. And that becomes quite relevant because the, the time that you can actually continue to get unemployment has actually can extended quite a bit. So it's, right. it was extended by 24 weeks. So normally most states, you know, varies by state, but typically it'd be about 26 weeks as the max, but now people could basically be getting it for a full year. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in those cases, a lot of those benefits will still be taxable above those exemptions, but you're right. You're right. For a lot of people, the benefits will be, fall below those exemptions. So they won't be taxable, at least at the federal uh, level. So many <laughs> different moving pieces with so, so much of this. Um, now let's talk about other sources of income that people often are trying to get from. You know, the CARES Act certainly changed some of the penalties regarding taking an early withdrawal from the 401k and other retirement plans, maybe the payoffs and debt and so forth. Of course, in general, Financial advisors try to discourage people from, you know, taking money out of there because it's hard to replenish and so forth. You're getting some questions you mentioned about that from your clients. How, how are you addressing that? And how do you, you know, do you adamantly discourage that? Or do you say, okay, as long as you try these other things first, then maybe use that as plan D or something like that? Well, I'd probably be more plan D or E um, for yeah. me. I, mean, I, I I do actively discourage that. In fact, it is a pet peeve of mine that it's sometimes, you know, some some of the um, companies in the industry will portray, you know, these 401k companies will portray it as, oh, like it's almost like a bank account available yeah. for employees. I, I, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. 
uh, it comes at a large opportunity cost uh, because you know normally there's a penalty on it, which makes it even worse. But even if there's no penalty, people are borrowing from their own future with that. And so, you know, it, I, I only suggest that if, if every other avenue is explored and there's nothing else available. So explain some of those avenues. Like what would you say, okay, here's what you should be doing first. Sure. Well, ideally someone would have an emergency fund available first yeah. so that you don't even have to worry about dipping into your retirement plan. If that's not available, like if you don't have an emergency fund, a bank account set up or a brokerage account that's got some extra money in it. Um, next, I would look at something like a HELOC, a home equity line of credit. Those are quite nice to supplement uh, the emergency funds, uh, you know, because it's often hard. And by emergency funds, typically the rule of thumb is anywhere from three to 12 months worth of expenses and cash. That can be really hard for people to build up at the beginning, you know, when they're starting to get going with their building up their financial uh, future. And so it can be hard to get there. So a uh, home equity line of credit, what that does is that lets people tap into the home equity they have. So if you know your home is worth 500000 and your mortgage is 300000 you'd have 200000 of equity in your home. They won't let you borrow the, against the full two hundred, but they might let you borrow hundred or have 100000 that's available in that HELOC. So that's relatively cheap. The interest rates are usually quite low on that, and it's there if people need it. So again, it's not it's not a you know intended to be there all the time and for um, you know for, for all sorts of expenses, but it's there as a nice backup. So I, I, I encourage folks to get that as a backup. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it, it, to distinguish it for people, it's different than like a second mortgage, which essentially gets rolled into your mortgage payments. The, the HELOC is a separate stream of payments, and and you are potentially putting your house at, at risk, but that's why they get the lower interest rate. Now, I certainly agree that that's a better way than the 401k but let's consider the case you know is someone says you know i've done everything i've cut back in expenses we're obviously not eating out much in any way really cut back in everything and it's either this or credit cards you know credit cards is you know very yeah. high interest rate i would that be the situation you say okay maybe that's that's it you know i mean and yeah I, like i'm guessing most other financial advisors would also hate the idea of using a credit card to, to pay right. off the bill so yeah 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 and so now let's talk about putting maybe more money aside in retirement plans like ross iras 401ks and so forth some people obviously this last year or two have been good to them they've kept their jobs they often industries are doing well and so forth but many other people we often think of you know, like you mentioned, the emergency account, that's the thing that we need to shore up first and uh -huh. then come back, you know, making sure, of course, we get the free money in terms of the a retirement account match. Uh, but then, you know, maybe not worry so much about the retirement account beyond the free money, beyond the employer match until you got that emergency saving up there. But, you know, how do you prioritize that? Is this a, a good time to do, you know, think about retirement or more of a time that'd be more you know, focus in the short run? Well, it, it really depends on the on the person's situation, uh, their family situation. So, you know, I think if, if their job is at risk or there's a good chance of losing their job one way or another, uh, it's a, it's a really important to have a good feel for how much they should have in that emergency fund that, that we've been talking about. And so, you know, if there's a single breadwinner in the house, uh, significant expenses, and say you've got young kids. Uh, you know, a, a lot of folks in that situation don't have a large emergency funds built up, so that would usually be one of the high priorities. 
um, anywhere from three to 12 months, really depending on, again, like how much risk there is. There's a judgment call there. Um, once that's okay, I, I agree with you. The next next step is that taking advantage of that full company match. And what we mean by that is so, you know, many companies, if you uh, if they offer a 401k plan, the employer will match up to, you know, often uh, I'm seeing a lot of folks with a hundred percent match, uh, but it's often 50 to hundred percent of whatever the employee is putting in. Yeah. And it's usually up to maybe three or 6% of, uh, of the salary. So that's terrific. That's free money. And they, I completely agree. People should fully take advantage of that. And then, as you say, it gets a little trickier beyond that. Then you have to look at the, you know, what becomes attractive. One thing I really think is uh, is, is something to look at is um, Roths, and a lot of the time. So you know, if you're if you're making below the uh, the income thresholds for it, 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 it can be easier. If you're married, it's about two hundred thousand, and if you're single, it's about you know one twenty four to four to one forty is where it gets phased out. But I'm a big fan of Roths, and people often don't really pay much attention to them. Most four hundred one k plans and the IRAs are pre tax, meaning you put your money in. You know, uh, before taxes and then don't pay any tax at the time, but then you're fully taxed when you withdraw it at retirement. And so a lot of folks have a huge percentage of their assets in pre-tax money like that. I like uh, encouraging people to have some portion in Roths to help diversify. And what's interesting for Roths, so if you're making below those thresholds, you're allowed to put it right into a Roth IRA. If you're making above those thresholds, it can be harder. So for higher income folks, uh, I'm, I'm encouraging them to have some portion of their 401k go into a Roth. A lot of 401k plans now offer a Roth option. It's not often uh, brought up, but most of them are, most plans now offer that as an option. And what's nice for that is for the higher income folks is it still helps them start to diversify their assets. So they have some portion of their assets in those Roth uh, Roth plans down the road. So they're not going to be taxed on every single dollar they need in retirement. They can take it out of the Roth and not paying taxes on in the future, especially if interest if, if tax rates end up being much higher in the future. Yep. Yep. Excellent. And uh, finally, any tax law changes that you think listeners should be thinking about? Of course, there is uh, you know, lots of things in the works right now. I, I run the Penn Wharton budget model. We're certainly yeah. tracking and scoring that right now. Uh, and people can go to our website to look at the most recent plans and that Biden has been looking at and so forth. But from a personal finance perspective, things that people should be aware of. Yes, definitely. So for um, for the higher income folks, uh, you know, as we were just talking about Roths, I definitely think they should be looking at those uh, Roth assets because their tax rates are likely going up. And so uh, take advantage. You're basically locking in today's tax rates by using Roths one way or another. So that's a big one for people to be thinking about. The other, which uh, is also important, is if people happen to have large amount, like large assets that are worth uh, that have more than a million dollars in unrealized capital gains and they're in a taxable status in other words a taxable brokerage account or not held in an IRA or something like that start planning for that because the tax rates may go up significantly for capital gains if if more than a million dollars is realized at once yeah and so starting to plan for that budget for it you know, think about maybe not doing it all in one year, doing some now, just to start locking in some of the lower rates because the, the rates are much lower now for long-term capital gains. And it would be a shame to have to pay those higher rates if you, you could have taken advantage of the lower rates today. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, 
one of the things that's going to be complicated about the if capital gains rates go up is how to so if you trying to anticipate it, you'd maybe want to realize some capital gains right now in order to kind of lock in lower rates. But the the scuttlebutt on the street is that if they do raise capital gains rate, they'll probably make it retroactive to include this entire tax year, and which they legally can do. That is not an ex post facto violation of the U.S. Constitution, and so. Um, and that and they've actually done that in the past, so it's not clear what the right strategy. I was encouraging some people to actually be um, thinking through, you know, looking at the realizations, you know, last year because it was anticipation with election change and so forth. So, uh-huh. okay, but unfortunately, that's probably a little bit too late at this point. But we'll see. You know, it may still make sense to do some realizations ahead of those increasing rates. But Patrick, uh, fantastic job. Thanks for coming back on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. And you can find out more about Patrick by going to his website, which is assetgrade.com. Again, assetgrade.com. It's also on my website, kentamoney.com. And I'm Kent Smethers. This is Your Money. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 